Good morning. All right, today is part six of our series, Titles of the Christ. We have covered several titles for Jesus Christ in this series, including prophet, priest, and king. And today we cover that Jesus Christ is judge, that he is the person who judges all mankind on judgment day. Now, I will admit, this is a topic that a lot of people do not want to hear about, okay? If I were to do a survey between like your car and the door here, and we had asked people like, what do you hope the sermon is about? I would assume very few of you would have said, 30 minutes on eternal judgment, please. (laughs) That's what I was wanting. No, um, but that is our topic today. I also realize it's the Christmas season and some of you brought relatives and it's their first time at our church. Um, Some of you, you know, your nephew is home from college and you convinced him to go to church. You were so excited. And now you find out the sermon is on judgment and you're tempted to turn to him now and go, sorry. (laughs) But here's the thing. This is important to talk about Um, because people don't want to hear about it. Many preachers and Sunday school teachers and Bible study leaders de-emphasize it. Okay, they de-emphasize it because their listeners don't want to hear it. But if that goes on long enough, you could have a culture that hardly knows anything about God's judgment or Christ's role in it. Now, of course, it is possible to overemphasize this. Maybe some of you grew up in churches like that, where, where the, God's judgment was like the characteristic that was talked about like above like almost any other thing. And the, sermon, the, the, the preacher was able to like squeeze hellfire into every single sermon, no matter the topic, right? You must have went to one of these, right? I guess so. You're nodding. So... Um, I just want you to know, like, I'm aware that exists. I don't think that's a good idea either. Um, But this is a title of Jesus Christ that we should understand, judge. We should understand this if we are to relate to him rightly. Now, before I show you the scriptures that actually refer to Jesus Christ as judge, um, I'd like to first make the more basic point that judgment is real, okay? That there is, and after this life is over, judgment. And I want to give you two reasons for it. Um, The first one is because the Bible says that an afterlife judgment is real. And the second reason is because our experience points toward this being real. Okay, So the first reason, the Bible says. The Bible says that afterlife judgment is real. And then your experience actually points you to know, I think inside you, that judgment is real. So let me begin with the first point. The first point is that the Bible teaches that afterlife judgment is real, particularly heaven and hell. Okay? The doctrines of heaven and hell and the places of heaven and hell are talked about. They are taught in the Bible. I realize there may be some people here today that go, well, I don't, I don't believe the Bible. And I would say to you, okay, I'm going to address you in the second reason, but I'm going to start with the Bible says. Okay? First of all, because I'm a preacher, it is my, the Bible says is my job. So I'm going to start there. Um, but also I want to do it because there are some people who say that they believe the Bible, but they will deny certain things that the Bible teaches about judgment and afterlife judgment, particularly the doctrine of hell. There are people who would say that they believe the Bible and deny the doctrine of hell. I was thinking about this this uh, couple week, this, this week. Um, one group of people who I would say um, do this is the Jehovah's Witnesses. Jehovah's Witnesses are a large, influential, like religious group in the United States, and um, I would say that they do not affirm the doctrine of hell. Now, of course, they would deny that, and I'm sure that they are aware that the word hell is in the Bible, but their stance would be that hell is the common grave of mankind, okay? When when the Bible uses the word hell and talks about someone like going to hell after they die, that's referring to the grave. It's just the place of non-existence that people go um, when they die. That's what hell is referring to. Um, There's another group called universalists, and there are people who are universalists who um, would say that they're Christians. Like there's someone who would say, I'm a Christian, 
and I'm a universalist, and I believe the Bible, and universalists believe that everybody's going to heaven. It doesn't matter what you believe. It doesn't matter what you do. It doesn't matter what you say. It doesn't matter whether you're Hindu or Buddhist or you know, Mormon or Christian. It doesn't matter what you did. It doesn't matter who you believed in. It doesn't matter what you said. Everybody goes to heaven. And so those people would either deny that there is a hell, or I guess they would maybe say maybe there is one, but nobody goes there. Like, it's going to be empty. No, human, no humans go there. And so it's in light of that that I want to start with Matthew chapter 10, verse 28, as we talk about judgment, particularly afterlife judgment. Matthew chapter 10, verse 28. So this is Matthew's account of Jesus. He wrote down a bunch of things that Jesus said. So we're right into this middle of this chapter that says a whole bunch of things that Jesus said. And verse 28 is the one I want to focus on. It's a fairly famous thing that Jesus said. Matthew 10, verse 28. Jesus said, don't fear those who kill the body, but are not able to kill the soul. Rather, fear him who is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. Okay? No one's got that on their refrigerator, I bet. (laughs) But Jesus said this, and you can tell when he said this, he was concerned about something, right? He was concerned about his followers and what they would believe, and he was concerned about his followers' concerns. Like, what would they be concerned about? And so in this sentence, he actually talks about what he doesn't want them to be concerned about, And he talks about what he does want them to be concerned about, right? The thing he doesn't want to be concerned about, he says, don't fear those who kill the body. Don't worry about that, but are not able to kill the soul. That's not, that shouldn't be your concern. When you're sitting there going, well, I don't know if I should do the right thing. No, you should do whatever God wants you to do. Yeah, but they're saying I shouldn't. Who cares what they say? But what if they kill me? Don't fear those who kill the body. That's not, that's not a big deal. There are worse things than them killing you. So he tells them, don't be concerned about that. Rather, what does he want them to be concerned about? He says, fear him who is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. Why would Jesus threaten something that doesn't happen to anyone? Like, I guess I'm speaking to the the perspective of universalism here when I say this. Why? Why in the world would Jesus threaten something? Hey, you should fear that. Be concerned about this. Why would Jesus threaten something that doesn't ever happen to anybody? I also want you to notice in this verse that hell is contrasted with physical death. It's not considered the same thing, right? Don't fear those who what? Kill the body. Clearly, that's a reference to death. If somebody kills your body, it's dead, right? And your body goes to the grave. You're done. Don't fear those who kill the body. Don't fear those who cause physical death but are not able to kill the soul. Rather, fear him who is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. Hell is contrasted with physical death. It's not the same thing. Like, in other words, whatever hell is, it's not the same thing as death. In fact, whatever hell is in this verse, it's, it's worse than death. Do you see that? Okay, so that would be a very negative judgment, and that's a, something that we sometimes talk about when we talk about judgment. Maybe even most of the time when people talk about God's judgment, they immediately think of the negative part of it. Oh, God is going to judge. There is also a happy judgment, Okay? The Bible, when it talks about judgment, does not only talk about judgment in negative terms. There is a happy judgment, and I wanted to show you a character in the Bible who actually was looking forward to judgment day. Okay? This would be 2 Timothy chapter 4. If you go to 2 Timothy chapter 4, I'm going to start reading in verse 6. You're going to see a reason why Christians can actually look forward to judgment day rather than dreading it, because there is a happy judgment to come. So 2 Timothy chapter 4, starting in verse 6. It says, for I am already being poured out as a drink offering, and the time for my departure is close. So my best understanding here, this is Paul writing at the end of his life. You can tell by the way he writes that even he thinks he's at the end of his life. Paul's writing to Timothy, probably in the midst of a Roman imprisonment. He had been in Roman imprisonment before, but I think this time he might have realized, like, I think this is going to be the last one. 
I think that probably as he's writing this letter, he probably realizes my execution is coming up soon. And as best as I understand history, I think that shortly after Paul wrote this, he was executed. And so he's at the end of his life and he knows it. And you can tell by the way he writes this. I'm already being poured out as a drink offering for the time of my departure is close. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Can you tell that he's writing as someone who is at the end of his journey? Now, look at the next verse. There is reserved for me in the what? Yeah, in the future. The crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous who? The righteous judge. Now, this is interesting. So he's saying, I'm looking forward to the future, and there is reserved for me this crown of righteousness. The crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give me on that day. What day is he referring to? Yeah, judgment day. You can tell because it's in the future, and, it is, and it's not just the Lord. He, specific, he specifies which the Lord, the righteous judge. So he's saying the Lord, in his judgment, will give me a crown of righteousness in the future. On that day, he's referring to judgment day, and you can tell the way he's saying it is not that he's scared. He's going, oh, that's going to be good. I have finished my race. And there is coming for me a crown of righteousness. The judge is going to give that to me on judgment day, the crown of righteousness. He's looking forward to judgment day, which is great, but it's the next part that really makes us realize that this verse is relevant to all of us because look what he says. He says, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give to me on that day. What's it say next? And not only to me. Oh, that's good. And not only to me. This is not a verse where Paul is just simply saying, I'm looking forward to judgment day, right? because I have been so good and there's this crown of righteousness coming for me. He's saying, no, no, this is not only to me, but to all those who have loved his appearing. Now, when you first look at it, it's not obvious as to what it is mean by his appearing. Is that referring to Jesus's first appearing or his second appearing, okay? Is this referring to when Jesus came the first time and he died on the cross for our sins or is this talking about the second coming? Is he saying um, the people who, this, this crown of righteousness is for those who have longed or who are longing for his second coming, or for the people who are happy that he came the first time, okay? I think it's probably talking about, most scholars seem to interpret it to mean the people who are longing for his second coming, but it honestly doesn't matter. Either way you interpret it, it's talking about the same group of people, is it not? Yeah, it's talking about Christians. So can I have the verse back up? So when he says this, he says, so there's this crown of righteousness, the righteous judge is going to give to me on that day, and not only to me, but everybody who loved Jesus, all of those people who are happy about what he did, all of those people who are longing for what he is, he is going to do. So this is something that is relevant to all of us. It's not just Paul saying, oh, the crown of righteousness is for me. He's saying, no, not only to me, for everybody that loves Jesus. And I want you to notice there is some like negative judgment that is implied in the verse, right? Because he says, and again, I'm thinking of universalism here as I'm reading this. He says, um, there's a future, a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give to me on that day, and not only to me, but to, and notice he doesn't say, but to everyone else that ever existed, right? That's not what he says. But to all those who have loved his appearing. And so those of us who love Jesus, those of us who follow Jesus, we don't have to fear death. Praise God. Yeah. We don't have to fear judgment day. Like, what a blessing that is. I just want you to consider this. Those, those of us in this room that know Jesus, okay, we are sinners. We are sinners who have rebelled against God, and we don't have to dread judgment day. What a blessing. 
Okay, now for those of you here who would say, okay, sure, I buy that in the sense that I believe you're correct that the Bible says that. Crown of righteousness for those that love Jesus, destroy soul and body in hell. Like I get that that's in there, I believe that, but I'm not sure that the Bible is true, right? I'm not sure about the truth of the Bible. And what I would say to you is this, not only does the Bible say this is true, your experience points to this being true. Well, yeah, I don't think so. No, I think there's, there are some things you already believe that once I point it out, you're gonna go, oh, oh, you're right. I'm not ready to abandon believing that, but if I'm gonna keep believing that, then it must be true. Your experience in this life points toward judgment being real. Let me point it out to you. I want you to imagine a world where there are uh, roads and highways and interstates, and there are speed limit signs and stop signs and traffic lights, and there's cars and traffic moving all around. Okay, you should be able to do this <laughs> because you live in such a world, okay? So I want you to imagine that, but here's the thing. There's the one thing I want you to change. I want you to imagine in this alternate universe that I'm getting you to imagine, imagine all that's true, but in this alternate universe, there are, there are no traffic laws. There is absolutely no traffic law enforcement. Yes, there's roads, speed limit signs, stop signs, interstates, but there is no traffic law enforcement whatsoever. What I mean by that is, there are no police officers that are you know, monitoring the roadways. There are no traffic cops. There are no tickets that anybody gets. There is no clerk of circuit court to send the ticket into, okay? There are no judges that determine whether someone did it or someone didn't do it, okay? There are no legislators that are making laws about how people are to operate on highways. There are absolutely no punishments for anything anybody does on the roads, okay? So can you picture this? Now, some of you drive like that's the world you live in now. <laughs> Well, that's a whole nother sermon. Okay, so you can imagine that world, right? Now, here's the thing. That, this world that you just pictured, is there a speed limit in that world? Really? I mean, is, is there a speed limit in the world I just described to you where there are absolutely no enforcement, no accountability, no laws, no There's just signs that say it, but there is no enforcement whatsoever. I think most of us would say, no, there is, I mean, for all practical purposes, there is no speed limit in that world. Because without enforcement, without accountability, there are no laws. There's, there's just suggestions, okay? The signs that would be up would just be somebody's opinion of what you ought to do. But it wouldn't be like a law, right? Mm. In this world that we live in, if there is no lawgiver or judge that is above us, then there is no right and wrong right now. Do you realize that? Like, if the atheists are right, and there is no transcendent judge or lawgiver above humanity, there's no such thing as right and wrong right now. So, here's the thing. Everything that we call right and wrong really are just suggestions. It's somebody's opinion of what you ought to do. But there is no actual right and wrong right now if there is no judge and no lawgiver. But here's the thing. Some of you in this room, your parents abused you when you were little. And some of you in this room were raped when you were younger. And some of you were betrayed by someone who you should have been able to trust. And it hurt. And this is what I'm telling you. Without a judge, those things weren't wrong. They're just things you didn't like. And there's something inside of us that I think we cannot fully suppress that cries out, but those things were wrong. And I would say to you, I agree with you. And God agrees with you. And God believed it before you did. 
And so the Bible testifies that there is judgment after this life, but our own experience of right and wrong points to it. So with all that said, let's look at three scriptures that say that Jesus is the judge. If there is a judgment coming, who's the person on the throne? Who's the one making these judgments? The Bible says it's Jesus, and I want to show you three different places. We're going to look at the words of Peter, and then the words of Paul, and then the words of Jesus. So three different Bible characters. What Peter had to say about this, what Paul had to say about this, what Jesus had to say about this. And so let's start with Peter, Acts chapter 10. Acts chapter 10, I'm going to start reading in verse 40. Uh, Peter is one of Jesus' disciples. He is doing this speech at, I believe it's Cornelius' house, and he's talking to the people, and I'm just going to jump in at the end of the speech. This is uh, Acts chapter 10, verse 40. God raised up this man on the third day and permitted him to be seen, not by all the people, but by us, witnesses appointed beforehand by God, who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. So who's he referring to there? Jesus. He's saying Jesus was, he died. He came back to life on the third day. We ate and drank with him. We hung out with him after he came back to life. Now look what he says in the next verse, verse 42. He, that's Jesus, commanded us to preach to the people and to solemnly testify that he is the one appointed by God to be the what? The judge of the living and the dead. Isn't that interesting? The way that Peter presents the gospel here, it's so different than the way we do, right? I think a lot of us would say that the, the command that God gave them is they had to go out and they got ahead to tell everybody that Jesus is the savior of the world, which is not untrue. It is true. They were supposed to tell people that Jesus is the savior of the world. But in this particular case, he says, the thing that Jesus told us to go tell everyone is that he is the judge. Like in their mind, that was not incompatible with explaining the gospel to everybody. That was part of it. We got to let everybody know. He's the one appointed by God to be the judge of the living and the dead. That's interesting. Everybody that's alive and if you're dead, it's not over yet. There's still more, right? He's the judge of the living and the dead. Now look at the next verse. All the prophets testify about him that through his name, everyone who believes in him will receive forgiveness of sins. So again, we see that there is, um, like some of the negative judgment is sort of implied, right? So through his name, everyone who believes in him will receive forgiveness of sins. The implication is the, that the people who do not believe in him will not receive forgiveness of sins, right? But, but it's phrased in the positive. Those who believe in him will receive forgiveness of sins. And so we can see that forgiveness of sins and just judgment can coexist. And we talked about the why and the how of that last Sunday. You remember that? So for this week, I just want you to notice that in this passage, the person who is the judge is Jesus, all right? Jesus is the judge when Peter's talking here. All right, now let's look at what Paul says. This is four or five pages over in my Bible. Acts chapter 17. Paul is uh, preaching to the people, the citizens of Athens, Greece. Athens is a city in Greece. It was a city in Greece back then. It's still a city in Greece now. And he was talking to the citizens there, and this is what he said to them. Okay, toward the end of, again, toward the end of his speech, this is what he said. Acts 17, verse 30. Therefore, having overlooked the times of ignorance, God now commands all people everywhere to repent. Why? Why should anybody change whatever they're doing? Because he has set a day when he is going to judge the world in righteousness by the man he has appointed. He has provided proof of this to everyone by raising him from the dead. 
Who is Paul referring to as the one who was raised from the dead? Jesus. He's saying there is coming a judgment day. God's going to judge the world in righteousness specifically through a man. Which man out of all, the, all, out of all of them? The one that he raised from the dead. Peter believed that Jesus was the judge. Paul believed Jesus was the judge. Now let's look at what Jesus said about this. This is John chapter five. Jesus addressed this more than once, but I'm gonna go ahead and read this, this small little section here in John chapter five. Um, so I'll just start reading in verse 21. This is Jesus speaking. He said, and just as the father raises the dead and gives them life, so the son also gives life to anyone he wants to. It's important for you to know the word son here, he's referring to himself, okay? That he's the son of God. Earlier in the chapter, he had talked about God as his father. The Jews were angry at him and wanted to kill him for this. They said not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but he was even calling God his own father, making himself equal with God. So when he says son, he's referring to himself here. So just as the father raises the dead and gives them life, so the son also gives to anyone he wants to. Now look at verse 22. The father, in fact, judges no one but has given all judgment to the Son so that all people will honor the Son just as they honor the Father. Anyone who does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent him. Jesus referred to himself as the judge. And this judgment, this enforcement of the law, this accountability to the words of God is connected to why the other titles of the Christ matter. Okay? There's a connection with all this. For instance, if you go back to the very first week of the series, remember we said Jesus is prophet, right? Jesus is not just a prophet, Jesus is the prophet. You guys remember that? And the application for that week, if you remember, was we said it was actually it was three words. Anybody remember it? Okay. Yeah, it's a shame. I really thought that was a good sermon. Um, <laughs> listen to him. Does that ring a bell? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, don't, don't. Okay, so... <laughs> We said Jesus is the prophet, and so what are you supposed to do? Because he is the revealer of God, the, the words we gave that week were, listen to him, right? That's what God said, listen to him. Now, here's the question, why? Why listen to him? Listen to him only matters if something is done about it, right? If, if, there's gonna, if, there's, if, if something's gonna be done about whether you listen to him or not. Or if you can remember last week, oh, hopefully last week is more fresh in your memory than prophet. <laughs> last week, we talked about Jesus as sacrifice, right? And, and we talked about Jesus taking our punishment in our place. But why is that a big deal? Jesus taking our punishment in our place, is, it's only a big deal if there is a judgment to come. Like Jesus taking our punishment for us only matters if there really was a punishment coming. So in closing, you may have opinions about right and wrong, you may have opinions about grace and forgiveness and heaven and hell and whether Jesus is the way to God or whether there's some other way to God. You may have opinions about what sin is or what faith is. But there is going to come a day when only Jesus' opinion on that matters. Amen. There is going to come a day when only Jesus' opinion on that, and when I say that, whatever issue it is, Whatever it is, there's going to come a day when only Jesus' opinion on that matters because he's the one that's going to be on the throne. You will care what he thinks then. So make sure you care what he thinks now. Yes. Trust him now. Forgive him. Follow him now. Receive his forgiveness now. Obey him right now. If you are going to care about what Jesus thinks one day, why not make that day today? Let's pray.
God, I thank you so much for revealing this to us. I thank you so much that people like Peter had to go out and say, um, he wanted us to tell everyone he's the judge of the living and the dead. And I thank you that Paul went around and said, he is going to judge the world in righteousness by the man he appointed. He's given proof of this by raising him from the dead. Thank you that Jesus said all judgment is going to be given to the Son. It's helpful for us to know these things. And so I pray that there would be people in this room and later on this Sunday in the other service who are even rescued from hell today. People who can begin to look forward to a crown of righteousness today, (laughs) not their own righteousness, Jesus' righteousness given to them for eternity one day. And so I pray that we would believe in you. I pray that you would help us to be people who care what you think right now. We honor you as our judge and we thank you for your forgiveness. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.